Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we will be created and you will renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit has instructed the hearts of the faithful, grant them by the gift of that same spirit, we may always be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. St. Benedict, pray for us, and St. Mary Magdalene, whose feast it is today, pray for us. I want to talk about the divine project. Chapters 1 to 3 of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is all about creation. It's not meant to be taken literally, but it is to be taken as the inspired word of God telling us important truths about the universe we live in. Biblical scholarship, as well as what scientists tell us about evolution, enables us to extract the meaning of the story, or stories, that are told in Genesis, in the language and thinking of the time when it was written but the meaning remains live for us today. It tells us that everything has been created by one God and all was created by God. It tells us that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. We learn of the spirit of God that breathed life into creation. Later in the Bible, we read prophecies of a Messiah who will be sent by God. And in the New Testament, we find that it is God himself who came. Jesus had emptied himself of his godness and become himself a human being, just like us in every respect, except that Although he experienced temptation like us, as the letter to the Hebrews tells us, he never sinned. He was, is totally good. And he had come to tell us, and indeed to show us in his cross and passion, and that he is not a God who is watching to see everything that we do wrong, and writing it down in his black book to see how many extra days in purgatory if we're not actually bound for hell. He is a God who lives like us and who is himself, or themselves, love. In pondering and debating these truths, the Christians of the early church realised that while there is only one God, as the Jews had always believed since the time of Abraham, and unlike the peoples before the, uh, Abraham who worshipped a multiplicity of gods, our God is one but is three persons. We are the only religion that worships a God who is a community, which we call the Trinity. 
John the Evangelist tells us that God is love. And St Paul tells us that love is living as if the other person is more important than myself. And that's what makes sense of the Trinity. Jesus is obedient to the Father, as if the Father is more important than himself. And he tells us that after him will come the Spirit, who will tell us more than Jesus has been able to, as if the Spirit is more important than himself. And at the Transfiguration, the Father tells us that Jesus is his beloved Son and that we are listening to him as if he is more important than the Father. Each of the three live as if the other two are more important than themselves, but they each are equally love. Pope Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, gave a series of six lectures to seminarians which have been beautifully translated and published in a little book called The Divine Project. He draws from the first three book chapters of Genesis to show us that all of creation is the divine project, which is not a once and for all project, it's an ongoing project. And we human beings are the most important part of it. And we are responsible for taking the project further. We are all pro-creators. And we are meant to use our powers of imagination and inventiveness to take the project further. Being created in the image and likeness of God, who is Trinity, means Therefore, that we are created in the image and likeness of relationships. Abraham's meeting with God and God's covenant or promise to him. And Jacob's ladder in his dream, up and down which came angels from heaven, show that the human being's primary relationship is with God. There is a connection between God in heaven and ourselves on earth. But it's the relationship with each other, especially between husband and wife, that is responsible for the continuing of this divine project. Jesus shows us that these two aspects of our relationships are represented by the cross, with its longer vertical member representing our relationship with God and the shorter horizontal relation, uh, 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 sorry, the shorter horizontal uh, member of the cross uh, representing our relationships with each other. And it could be said that the rooting of the cross in the ground represents our relationship with the earth we live on that Pope Francis has made us all more aware of in his encyclical Laudato Si, which is also part of God's creation 
God's divine project. And each of these relationships serve to carry on the divine project because they are relationships of love, of living as if the other is more important than ourselves. And it is of the essence of love to overflow, which is why God made creation in the first place, so that the love of the Trinity could overflow, would have other beings, human beings, to receive and promulgate that love. Just as the love of human parents overflows onto their children, and indeed to everybody who comes into their home. So how do we express that love, or those three aspects of love? Love of God, love of other people, and love of creation. Jesus himself showed us how to express our relationship with God in prayer and in sacrifice, as the Jews had always done. But in prayer to the Father, that is made perfect by the Holy Spirit, who praises for us when all we can manage is sighs and sleepiness, and prayer through and with Jesus Christ. And in the sacrifice, not of animals, no matter how precious or unblemished, but the sacrifice of himself in the Mass. But the meaning of the cross is that the suffering that all human beings experience, often caused by other people, whether deliberately or not, and that Jesus himself experienced in his rejection and scorn by so many, and ultimately in the Passion and Crucifixion. All this suffering need not be just a negative experience, but can gain meaning by offering up our own illness, pain, hurt, and experiences of unfairness. I'm sure my mother was not the only one to say, offer it up, dear, for the souls in purgatory. The incarnation, Jesus becoming a human being like ourselves, means that we're meant to learn about our communication with God from the ways in which we communicate with each other, chatting, asking favours, being silent together, making sacrifices of our time and as we give presents to each other. And just as we tend to adopt some of the mannerisms of other people whom we respect and spend time with, so the proof of the efficacy of our prayer to God is that if we have been making time regularly for prayer, and if we look back over the past month or two, no matter how unsatisfactory our prayer time may have seemed, if we're absolutely honest with ourselves, we will find that in some area or other of our lives, we've become more generous, more tolerant, more likely to respond to a hurt with a smile rather than a grumble. We have become a tiny bit more Christ-like. 
In other words, we are an active part of that divine project which is about becoming divine ourselves. But it's still difficult trying to pray to a God whom we cannot see or hear. It's a good idea to begin our prayer with something like, I am your beloved son or daughter in whom you take delight, which we're entitled to say as sisters or brothers of Jesus Christ. And in case that seems too presumptuous, we can follow it with the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The risen Jesus Christ made it clear to Saul, later St. Paul, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, that he, Jesus Christ, identifies with the assembly of Christians that we call the church. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in chapter 25 of Matthew's Gospel, he said, Whenever you visited someone in hospital or prison, or did a kindness to any other person, you did it to me. So our love of other people is also our love, an expression of our love of God. Our expression of our love relationship with God is inextricable from our having a loving relationship with other human beings. Those two commandments, love God with all your might, love other people as yourself, they're both the first commandment, said Jesus. And Jesus makes clear that the love he's talking about is not a mere matter of feelings or emotion. Love your enemies, he said. Nobody had ever said that before. He doesn't mean we have to like them or there wouldn't be enemies. But it does mean living as if they are more important than we are. So instead of dwelling on how we feel about the hurt that they've done us, we try to consider why they have done or said or are whatever it is that has hurt us. And once I'm sure that it isn't actually me who's provoked him, how can I help him grow out of his objectionable behaviour? We ask ourselves, what is he feeling that he behaves like that? Our love relationship with others also shows in that quality that Jesus himself showed so often in the Gospels, compassion. The almost unpronounceable Greek word for compassion, splagkisnitsomai, literally means something like having one's guts twisted. And as our love for others grows, we find ourselves moved more and more by the sufferings of others that we see or even hear about. Just as a mother feels the pain herself as she sees her toddler fall over. 
or we feel embarrassed at someone else making a fool of himself. We feel for him because he matters to us. We care for him. It's compassion when we try to write letters of condolence or go and visit the bereaved. We feel unable to help and therefore we are sharing, we are suffering with, we're sharing the impossibility to remedy the situation that the bereaved person is herself experiencing. The goodness of the divine project means that God does not inflict suffering, but the cross of Jesus Christ means that he shares it. And then there's the apostolate of the smile, putting on a smile and looking people in the eye with a smile, even when we don't feel it, is playing a part in bringing the divine project a bit nearer what Teilhard de Chardin called the omega point, the end point, when everyone in the world is living as if every other one is more important than themselves. And so we then will be living in a world of perfect peace. So the divine project is our project today and always. Smile today. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.